Betches Media presents Betches Moms with hosts Aileen Drexler and Brittany Levine. Get ready to lock yourself in the bathroom or wherever else you hide from your kids because you'll literally never be alone again. Hello and welcome to the Betches Moms podcast. I'm Brittany. And I'm Aileen. And today we're going to be joined by New York City-based stylist helping women feel great about themselves through fashion, especially in motherhood, and the founder of Your Soul Style and mom of two, Jenny Greenstein. Welcome, Jenny. Hi there. How are you? Hi. So I've known you for like, how many years has it been? It's like probably like as long as as I've known Rusty. (laughs) You know, the funny thing is I was thinking about it this morning and I was like, I think I've known Aileen since she didn't live with Rusty. So I've seen her through so many different phases of her involvement. It's so true. It's been so long. Um, mm-hmm. I've had like three therapists since the last time. I met <laughs> you know, when I first met you too, I think I, I mean, I'm pretty sure like my first daughter was born and I was like, I can't wait till Aileen gets to the point where she has a baby because then I can be like her stylist and help her get dressed. And Years um, later, right? Crazy. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So just to give context, Jenny and I know each other because she, you're a stylist and you sort of have helped me through different stages of my life. And I've also seen like you go through many stages of your <laughs> life. Um, both of you, 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 were, you weren't even pregnant the first time with Vita, right? Or did you had just have Vita? Possibly. Vita was born in 2015. So it was just then. Yeah. But anyway, so you have two daughters now. Um, You just had your second recently, like last last year. No, Um, she was born in 2019. 2019, which also feels like six months ago. Um, (laughs) We like like lost the year there. Yes. And (laughs) the reason why I just like love your I just why I think you stand out from a lot of different stylists is that you have this approach or your company's called your soul style and it's about and I know you can talk about this but be you know style from the inside out and mm-hmm. um like being mindful with like how what you wear makes you feel so can you talk about just your approach and mm-hmm. you know all the things I just said. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so your soul style is an integration between style and mindfulness. And it's really more about the embodiment and of your own personal style and what that means and what that looks like. It's all about being authentic. It's all about being, it's all about showing up as your most authentic self to feel empowered and then feel like you're living in alignment from the inside out. I think that we live in a society where there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of chaos coming into our minds when it comes to personal style. There's a lot of external influence. And while I feel like we could all be inspired and take cues from what's going on in society and culture and media and whatnot, I think sometimes that noise can be distracting and we lose our sense of style and what that really looks like and what that really means. Um, So what I do is I work with women and we really tap into um, the deeper sense of self. So we want to ensure that women are showing up as their most authentic, empowered selves. And it's more about style from the inside out as opposed to style from the outside in, which is, I think, a lot of ways that people get dressed, unfortunately. Yeah. So meaning that like it's less about following trends or what's cool and it's about, you know, the trends of your heart, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever makes you feel good to step outside and like show up feeling like yourself. And 
I know sometimes like so when I, I used to talk to you about this, I'm like, Ugh, but like, isn't fashion like kind of superficial? And you're like, no, you have to put on. Cl- most people have to put on clothes <laughs> every day. <laughs> and <laughs> that is an extension of your own skin and your yes. own personality. And can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. I mean, style is self-expression. Like you said, we're not waking up in the morning and walking out the door naked. It's an extension of who we are. It's, it symbolizes who we are. It's a, it's a silent way of communicating who we are. And I think it's really vital and important to pay attention to it. And it needs to be reflective of who we are on the inside. I think that when women say like, oh, I don't care, like it's superficial, like it's, it's materialistic, um, there's a disconnect there because I'm, I'm certain that people do care how they show up each day and it, it is empowering and it does affect your self-esteem. So it isn't something that I take lightly and it is a part of self-care and it's something that we need to pay attention to, like the way we pay attention to our mental muscles, our physical muscles and our, our style muscles, so to speak. You know, it's, it's all, it all needs to be cohesive and, and working in alignment with each other. I have to agree with that because I feel like I wake up in the morning and sometimes I'll put on, I mean, also working from home, I'll put on sweats and I'm like, this is making me feel worse than I actually want to feel. I'm going to get dressed today. And you really feel mm-hmm. so much better. It really does help you reflect how, like who you are that day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's always like, t- there's like, times and places for being comfortable and being more relaxed, obviously being more unwound. This past year has been pretty intense. Lots of people have just resorted to sweats, pajamas, you know, Mm -hmm. never really getting dressed from the waist up for their Zoom meetings and whatnot. And it's a really interesting time as we are, you know, move into this post-COVID world and emerge because it's like, how do we take, you know, this sort of relaxed sensibility and this much more um, laid back personal sense of style and bring it forward and bring elements of it. But, you know, it's time to show up. You know, we're, we're all going outside. We're all, you know, having meetings again. Some of us are going back to the office. Our social lives are becoming more robust. And because it's been such a transformative time, I actually think now is a really good time to tap in and reflect on your personal style. Like, what do you, what is it? Like, what do you want it to be? You know, I have clients that have come to me that I've seen in the past few months. And, you know, you ask the question, like, how do you feel when you look in your closet? Is this a reflection of who you are right now? And in many circumstances, it's just like, it's not. It's, I've, I've done so much introspective work over the past year. I'm a different person. None of that is fitting for my lifestyle anymore. Like, who am I now? What does that look like? And I think it's a really important question for, for people to ask themselves, again, as we transition hopefully continue to transition out of this, this place. Right. Um, so speaking of like who they are or like the transitions, mm-hmm. um, what about when women, if women went to those for that, for that, when it applies to you transition to becoming a mother, yes. do you see, I know you said you have a lot of clients um, that either you see them during pregnancy or post and obviously before, but um do you see that many women come to you and say like, I do, I have a different, I feel like a different person and now I need to find my style as a, as a mother. Yeah, no, that's typically when the, I would say that that conversation happens during pregnancy. I think in like prenatal time, women are just trying to kind of figure it out, especially the first time around when you actually have the time to figure it out. Um, what, what can I wear even, you know? So it's more just like, staying in your lane, you know, an extension of whatever your personal style is at that moment and finding the pieces that work and fit your body as it changes. 
postnatal is a different story. Your body is still different in a different way. You know, I think that there's this idea that you're going to bounce back or, or maybe some people do. So I don't want to like box people in because actually some people, their bodies shift really fast and they do for a majority of women, that's not the case. And so there's a lot of physical changes. There's a lot of emotional changes, financial changes, you know, logistics, lack of time. So many things have happened on top of the fact that when you become a mother, you're just sort of like, I like to like to say like, you're on like the other side. Like there's a, there's, it's such a huge jump into a different realm of, of a lifestyle that emotionally and mentally, like there's just a shift and, and women, you know, need to embrace that and, and figure out what their personal style is at that point. So yeah, I work with a lot of women, um, a lot, a lot of times, like not like necessarily like the second the baby comes out, but like a few months later when the dust has settled and you're sort of in your flow and you're in your rhythm and women are just like, nothing fits. I don't have any time. I can't go shopping. I don't know what to do. I have spit up on me, I have poop on me. I have, I'm pumping, I'm nursing. Like what is happening? Like, what do I do? And it's, it's, it's a time to really like look inward and say like, okay, like where are we at and what do we need to do to kind of not get back to where we are? Cause there's no going backwards. You've moved forward, but it's like, let's establish our, our new foundation, our new launch pad of like what our personal style looks like and how to move forward from here. So what are some practical pieces that a mother or uh, a woman who is now pregnant might not have the time to do the research or find different things for herself? What are some tips for them to go shopping or practical pieces for them to keep in their wardrobe? Yeah, you know, it's hard because like, right, like if we're talking about like postpartum right after you have a baby, um, your body is still not like settled into like, let's say like where it's going to be. So from an investment standpoint, I get a lot of pushback where women are just like, I don't want to spend any money because like, you know, I'm going to, you know, six months from now or eight months from now, like nothing's going to fit. There are pieces that do work though in with a, with a shifting body, you know, like with their flexible shapes. I mean, I would say something that doesn't have seams around the midsection would be a good idea. Um, things like jumpsuits or, or dresses that don't have tons of structure are a good idea layering pieces are all you know are always workable so even if you have like you know you beef up your blazer wardrobe or if you beef up your um like a jean jacket or button downs like if you buy them and they are you know more fitting or fit more um in a tailored way postpartum they'll be a little bit more over oversized a few months down the road um so i think buying pieces that have more space that don't have seams um, that are layering. I think like footwear is always a fun way to kind of like elevate your look. Fashion sneakers are super functional. And a lot of it is all about the styling too. I mean, you know, a lot of women like default to like leggings, you know, because they're easy and obviously they're, they flex with your changing shape, but you don't have to wear leggings with like your like old zip up sweatshirt. Like you can wear leggings with a button down on a blazer and put on a pair of like high top converse and a hat and you're like good to go. That's so cool. And you look God, really look elevated. Outfit. Great outfit. <laughs> you, Brittany and I yeah. just like our eyes just <laughs> I love it <laughs> a lot of it is in the styling and, and a lot of it is just paying attention to it and like giving yourself the time like I think a lot of it is time um you know I work with women and we do a lot of the styling so that they don't have to so they have like almost like a, like their own styling guy like a document with like 15 looks where it's like oh I don't even ever have to think about what I'm gonna wear and women can do that on their own too it's just it's giving yourself the luxury 
of that time, giving yourself the permission of that time. I also think organizing your wardrobe and organizing your closet is super key too. You know, again, I'm talking about in the postpartum space, like there's going to be like a large percentage of things that don't work. So you're like, if they're sort of like woven into your closet, you know, and you're just sort of like, you wake up every morning, you're like, this is, I, nothing fits. I don't have anything to wear. It's like, it doesn't feel good. It's, it's, it's not, it, it, it delays your getting ready process. It makes you frustrated. You're, you have a baby that's like crying in the other room and like you walk out the door and you're like, shit's falling apart. Like my life is a mess. I can't even get my shit together. If you give yourself like 10 minutes before you go to sleep and you literally actually put, well, first of all, organize your closet. So move aside the things that don't fit and organize the things that do see where your holes are, see where you need to fill in. And then give yourself the permission to have 10 minutes before you go to sleep and put together a look that feels good. That feel that functions for your day. I mean, breastfeeding you have to consider if you're breastfeeding so you obviously like need access to your breast throughout the day so those kinds of pieces you need to have those kinds of pieces in your wardrobe too but um yeah i think you want to make it as seamless as possible too you know it's like you want to feel good you want to look good you want to walk out the door feeling like your best self but you are a mom and you are juggling a lot and it is intense and it is hard so you have to you have to have a plan you have to have a strategy and if you go into it without of that you are going to feel chaotic just like with anything else in your life like I find that in motherhood, like the more structured I am, the more planful I am, um, things will obviously always like not go according to plan. There's always hiccups and whatnot. But like when it comes to personal style, it's kind of like it doesn't just because you're a mother doesn't mean it needs to like fall to like the bottom of the priority list. You know, it is part of it. And I think that's a myth. So I think that's part of it, too. It's like let's let's not be afraid to say that we give a shit about how we look when we're mothers like that's okay like it doesn't mean you love your kid less because you care about what you look like you know and i think there's a stigma around there it's like i don't care what i look like like all that matters is like like my baby has milk and like their diapers clean (laughs) and they're not gonna like die you know it's like okay those things are all vital absolutely (laughs) but so is like how you feel about yourself like self-esteem your energy your vibrations when you feel good about your yourself like your baby's picking up on that energy too so it's really important to take care of yourself I, I feel like this goes back to just being like also taking care of the mother like it's always baby 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 but you need to take care of the mother too so the mother could take oh, care absolutely. of the baby and this is so much exactly. about it. exactly so true about the styling piece because when you just talked about like the two different outfits a and b with leggings it makes a world's difference of how you feel like if I walked out of the house in leggings and a zip up hoodie from like sorority rush in college, which (laughs) I've done before, I feel like kind of, you know, while I feel comfortable, I feel a little schlumpy. Whereas if I walked out in said blazer converse outfit, which you need to buy ASAP, (laughs) I would feel like I can like sort of take over the world. Like, you know what I mean? Like you have this sense of confidence that like, yeah, I can get through like three phone calls, whatever. Whereas in outfit A, I could see myself being like, oh, I don't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. So it's it really does transform your mo- your mood. And I wanted to talk to you about like financial investment. But before then, the just to tie it into the styling, like when I've worked with you in the past, what I really loved is that you like, let's say we bought like five pieces or something and you would make like so many different outfits with it, sort of like a capsule, but then like they're all styled differently. So they all look so different. Mm-hmm. So can you share like, cause I'm sure a lot of women are listening and they're like, Oh, sounds great and all, but like, how am I supposed to even figure out how to afford any of this shit? Uh-huh. And <laughs> um, can you talk about, cause I also think that's a challenge is like, where do I invest? 
and like get the bang for my buck? And where do I kind of go low? You know, mm-hmm. can you um, share like how you uh, someone might navigate that without a stylist, for example? Yeah, of course. I mean, okay. So when it comes to pregnancy, um, I would say the biggest investment, especially if it's in like the fall and winter would be, I think a good pair of maternity or one or two pairs of maternity denim is a worthy investment because we wear denim every day. And obviously you can wear it now. Most people can wear to work denim and can transition to your social life, your personal life, and you can you know elevate it in a different way. So denim, absolutely. And there's a lot of really great maternity denim brands that um, are more of, they're more of an investment. And the truth is that you're likely not going to wear them again unless you become pregnant again. So they are an investment. And the return is that you're going to feel amazing through your pregnancy and you're not going to be like, you know, struggling every day to get dressed. So while you don't get like, you know, like the longevity per se, it's like, what about the emotional game? You know, what about the emotional game there? So I'd say like from an investment standpoint, like denim, like absolutely. Outside of that, I mean, again, I think like a good, like, like, like layers, layering pieces that, you know, will work because your belly can obviously grow through that and you can wear things open like a jean jacket or maybe like an oversized blazer or a button down that you could wear open while you're pregnant. And then it becomes like a button up post-pregnancy, which is also good for nursing too. Like anything buttoned down is good for nursing. When it comes to more like um, affordable things when you're pregnant, there are a lot of brands that make maternity clothing that are very affordable. You're talking like ASOS, H&M, Mango, Zara, like all of these brands can, well, some of them have maternity, some don't, but for the ones that have maternity, it's all very like affordable maternity clothing. So I think you can do like denim and like layers and, and blazers and jackets. And then for like, you know, the under pieces, I think you can do those um, more fast fashion brands. And of course, I think, I do think it's worth it to buy a few like true maternity pieces, you know, like there's, there's nothing wrong with buying a few maternity pieces from stores like Hatch or Loyal Hannah, which also transitions well to nursing clothing and Teton Cosset, which is also like a nursing friendly brand. Like they might be more of an investment, but like you are pregnant for nine and a half months and then you are in postpartum for who knows how long, you know, like you could be breastfeeding for, five weeks. You could be not breastfeeding, you could be breastfeeding for two years. I mean, the length of time varies between people, between women. So the investment is actually like valuable. It's like, it's worth it. It's worth it. Like it is a long period of time. The other thing that you can do is you can rent clothing. There are places like rent the runway that you can go to and you can buy and wear and send back. And you can kind of like do that on a rotating basis. And they have carved out um, by trimester like styles that would work. So they kind of take the guesswork out of out for you. And the other thing is, is that what I like to do is, and this is something that I did when I was pregnant was like, I like to shop for like regular clothing. And like, I size up, you know, like you size up and you wear things with forgiving waistlines and you make the investment. And there is a chance that like, you won't wear it again when your body changes, like after postpartum, but like, you can donate it. You might hold on to it if you tend to have more kids or you could, you know, pay it forward to another friend who's pregnant down the road. So it's not, it doesn't become like a lost cause. You know, I think that whole like concept of like, Oh, I don't want to spend any money. I'm just going to like literally like take leggings and wear a t-shirt every day for nine months. It's like, 
I totally understand. No, I do. I really do understand. And because I hear that all the time, but like what it's not really serving. It's not really serving you. You know, it's not really serving you. I mean, Aileen, I think you're in a unique situation because you were pregnant through a pandemic. Like it's different. Like it's hard to kind of like use the last year as like the baseline, you know, had you been going into your office every day, like it would have looked very different for you, you know? And even like, as we talk about things going forward into the summer, as life starts to open up again, you might want to become, you want might want to explore more options of how you want to show up each day and, and you are going to be in your third trimester or in your third trimester so that's the trickiest one to, to dress <laughs> usually yeah. <laughs> all right i'm gonna switch gears for a sec um and just but stay on pregnancy um Jenny, you've told me in the past about like your personal pregnancies. And in the last one, you experienced first trimester depression, which you shared that like you didn't know it was a thing before it happened to you. And I personally have never heard that. And um, I'm sure people who are listening also first time. Um, Can you talk about that? Sure, sure. Yeah. So, um, well, I got pregnant via IVF. Um, and I was obviously very pleased when I conceived on the first, um, transfer embryo transfer for this, cause I, both my babies were born via IVF. So this second one, we had embryos and, um, and bloom took on the first, the first transfer. So on top of just like the typical hormones that are happening when you like when you conceive naturally, when you do IVF, obviously you have to do like a lot of um, external hormones, like, you know, um, progesterone and other things. And so while I was like super, super psyched to be pregnant, um, I took a turn like pretty, pretty soon after, like, you know, maybe like five weeks or six weeks when things really started to, to elevate. And I never had experienced that with Vita before, but for some reason, whatever the reason for with this pregnancy, like I just went into like a dark place and you would think like I would, you know, I didn't understand like, like how I could feel this way when all the things in my life were good. And I was so happy to have conceived and I'm so psyched to have be having another baby girl and everything felt really good but like, I couldn't get out of this mode. Like everything felt really dark. And I, I, th- I told you this Aileen the other day, but we went on this family trip to Maui, like right after I, maybe I was like 11 weeks pregnant or 12 weeks pregnant, maybe a little 10 weeks pregnant. And I couldn't shake it. And I would just be like, and I'm a huge like beach person. And I'd be like staring at the ocean. And I was like, I don't feel any joy. Like I feel like no joy. Everything feels really intense. So I, 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 I am actively in therapy. So obviously like I worked on, you know, talk therapy through that. And we had talked about like, you know, like the idea of like real depression and like medication and like, do I need to go that route? Like, is that, is that an option for me? I didn't wind up going that route, like, because it did start to turn. Um, I'd say like, as I moved into my second trimester, but it was really, really hard. And it was really hard to be pregnant. And also to parent, because I also had Vita. So I was just sort of like holding a lot at that moment. Um, But I think it was, I mean, it was a combination, again, between like just my like natural hormones. And and I do think that what contributed for me was all of the, the progesterone. And I was just sort of getting really 
tired. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure like many women out there have done IVF. Like you have to give yourself a shot of progesterone like, every single day in your bum. I mean, I think there are other ways to take it. That's the way that I did. And it just got like, I, I, it was like, I was just done. I was just done. Like, I just wanted to like put my first trimester behind me and move forward. And fortunately I did take a turn, but it is a very, very, very real thing. And I kind of had a, like a sense now, like what postpartum depression probably feels like for many women, because I think the, the first trimester depression is comparable to what women feel like in their postpartum depression as well. And it's really, it's really struggling. It's really hard. Do you feel like you were able to do anything? Um, I know with depression, like, there's really not much you can do, but what were things that you did do to try and help get you out of this slump? I mean, I think like, well, therapy is always right. useful. Um, I try to practice a lot of gratitude and like kind of change. The, I always try to reframe things for myself. So perspective, I think is really important. Um, being outside, you know, of course, like walking, getting air. I'm not like a huge exerciser, to be honest, but I like anytime you move your body, um, that always feels good. But honestly, like, honestly, it was really hard to get out of it. It was like time. Like I, I it was literally time. It took me time yeah. to get out of it. You know, like I managed through it. I sort of like powered through it. Had it gone into a second trimester, like I probably would have like considered medication or something to take mm -hmm. the edge off because I didn't want to go through my entire pregnancy, like depressed. It's, it's right. It was a hard place to be. It's really tough on top of everything else. Was yeah. there, was there anything that like Dina, your wife, like kind of helped with while, like, you know, while you were going through it, because I'm sure that was also hard to watch you go through it too. Yeah. I mean, I think with Dina, like she's like such a hands-on parent and she's such a, like a equal participant, participant in our family and our family dynamic. So her just like carrying a, a little bit more of the weight and kind of giving me just time to check out, I think was really helpful. Um, giving me space to just rest and be and, you know, again, just like holding space for the vulnerability, I think is really important. You know, I think our partners just need to like our partners. Well, I guess if you're in a same sex female relationship, both partners can have gone through a pregnancy. But if you're in a heterosexual relationship or in my situation where Dina never you know, carried either of our daughters, like it's hard for them to like fully understand what you're feeling and going through. And, and I think as, as the person that's pregnant, it's, that's frustrating, right? Cause you just want, don't you understand? And you just want to be seen. So just even like holding space for all of it, you know, there's nothing to do about it. There's no, like, there's no fixing, you know, there's no like solutions. Like sometimes we don't even want solutions. Like, I don't want you to tell me how to solve it. Just like, mm -hmm. let me be what, like, just like hold space for it. I think that alone is enough for, for like a partner to do. Yeah. Right. Well, that, I'm glad you had that support. Yeah. yeah same. That sounds it's like important. a very dark, especially like you're while you're, especially while you're pregnant and have another daughter to sort of take care of but I'm happy you got out of it and thank you for sharing because I'm sure so many women like maybe they didn't even know they were going through it and just putting a name to it sometimes is like enough to help you just cope yeah. in a way yeah another question so you brought up like um, you know two mom family dynamics um, so you also recently told me you just had like the talk with Vida mm -hmm. about <laughs> the beginning, science. The beginning of the talk. The beginning, the beginning of the talk. How, how old is she? 
She will be six in July. Six. And so you said you had the t- the beginning of the talk with her about the signs of how she was quote unquote made. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us how, first of all, how you went about that? Like, how did yeah. you emotionally deal with having to talk to her about it? Were you ready? Mm-hmm. Did you expect her to sort of start inquiring at six? Um, and yeah. just could share, please. <laughs> Of course, of course. Um, you know, like when we when we had Vita, like when we made Vita, so to speak, yeah. um, we always knew that there would be a moment in time where she would, you know, her interest would be peaked or she would start to ask questions and we'd kind of, you know, have to start to explain to her how she came to be. What I will say is that from like the moment that Vita like came to Earthside, we've been reading to her books about how families are so diverse and everyone comes into this world in different ways and every family of origin looks very differently. So she did have a lot of insight into that. She knows that there's two moms, there's two dads, there's one mom, there's grandparents, there's adoption, there is biracial families like she knows that there's there's a whole range of the ways that that people come into this world and how they're raised um but you know when it comes down to like the science of how you are made like there's really only one way there's a sperm and there's an egg and then there's a uterus that carries like there's an embryo and then there's a uterus and that's how it it happens so you know we didn't want Vita's getting older she's going to be six and she started to kind of like play with the word genetics a bit um and you know she had this understanding that like her genetics were from me and Dina, right? Like, you know, like I have curly hair because you and mama have curly hair. So when you start to, you know, when she starts to say things like that, like there was a, a moment in time we were just sort of like, uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm, you know, and really didn't know how to address it because we needed to kind of step back and figure out how to approach that conversation. Whereas like a heterosexual couple is like, yep, yeah, uh-huh, check, fact, that's a fact. Right. This is not fact. This is that, that's not true. And we all we don't want Vita to have like non-truths. You know, we don't want her to like present information to her classmates or to her friends and be like and be like, what what are you t- like, what are you talking about? Like this is our job to educate her and inform her age appropriately. Yes. So um we we got a book that was called her teacher recommended it that call that's called What Makes a Baby. And it talks about a sperm and an egg. And it doesn't say like every man has a sperm and every woman has an egg, even though that obviously is the case. It's like everybody has, everybody has either one and it calls them like bodies. It doesn't like gender them, you know? So that I thought was like a beautiful, beautiful language around the book. Um, Then we actually spoke to a child psychologist because we just wanted to have a session and just get some insight like in terms of like what's developmentally appropriate, like what can she handle? And the interesting thing about kids is that, well, yes, they could actually handle a lot. Like, you know, and, and, and the big, if you tell them their story starting from a young age and how they came to be, it just becomes their story. You know, it just becomes like what it is. There's no shame around it. There's nothing to hide. There's no secrets. It's like, yep, that's how I came to be. You know, like you came this way, I came that way. So, um, so it was nice to hear that when the psychologist said that, you know, she's ready for whatever you want to tell her, you know? So what we decided to do is make it more of a layered approach and be just pretty clinical about it, like out of the gate and just really talk about like sperm and egg and, you know, our family, you know, women have eggs and that's what our family has. And we don't have a sperm in our family. So we got sperm from our doctor and our doctor gave us sperm and that's how, you know, you and Bloom were both made. She didn't ask any more questions, you know, like that is like the baseline, like she now has information that she needs to like, you know, if she wants to offer it to others, if they're in a conversation in school to other 
whatever, wherever she is, whatever environment, whomever she's talking to, she has fact, she has real information. That's all very true. And we figured as she gets older, like through the years and, and not like years, like 14, 15, 16, like over the next couple of years, we will continue to layer the conversation and, and, continue to offer her information. And I have a feeling that she'll maybe ask. And when, when your child asks, it means they're ready to hear the information. Yeah. And you know, I think the, the most important thing is that, that where like you, you came from, you know, your story is your story and, and, and all families come from, from different places. All families are made in different ways and all families look different and just kind of re- keep reiterating that message. That's so nice. And I feel like, like what you said, she'll come to you and she's ready with questions. And as she starts to learn more just on the outside world from everything else, she'll start to think like, oh, well, you know, maybe like, let me ask about this. And like, she'll start to layer on that information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. What I thought was really interesting, what the psychologist said was that like, you know, when it comes to like development, development, Children, you know, are super resilient, especially like before they're 10. So like 10 and under, like kids, like their identity isn't very vulnerable. Like they're just like, they're like, okay, cool. They're still like forming it, right? It's like so malleable. It's like, you know, they're just, they're taking on different things or letting things go. And sort of when you hit that like preteen mark, like a 10, when kids are going to move into like a preteen teen, when like your identity becomes vulnerable and becomes more locked and you reject your parents. And that's all very cliche, but it's kind of also true. Um, That is sort of like, it's not like, again, like it's not a rule, like obviously like a 14 year old, if they found out exactly the, you know, their origins, like would be fine with it if they found that at 14, but it tends like a good marker to understand that like, that's like where there is a huge developmental shift and how kids like see their own identity. So to give them like the, all of the information that they need, like 10 or under, um, if you're in a, you know, if your listeners are like, if anyone is in a similar family dynamic, like that would I'm not a doctor or a psychologist, but like, that's what, that's the information she offered us, which we really appreciate. And we're holding on to that. You know, we're using that as like a benchmark, uh, uh, you know, of like when we, we, she will know everything about everything before she's 10. Yeah. It's actually really interesting because a lot of my like forms memories happen, like everything that I refer to my childhood happens at 10. So like, that makes a lot of sense. That just that, <laughs> that little thing about the psychology of a child's identity makes a lot of sense. Um, so just speaking about family diversity, I'm, I'm sure it's a little bit easier in New York City because there there is a lot of family diversity, um, but not the case across the whole country. Can you talk about just like the responsibility of like families, not just like your family, right? Yeah. Just to educating their children about family diversity. Absolutely. You know, some families do it well and some families it's just not in their range because it's not information that they have to think about because it's a heteronormative family dynamic and it's sort of like, what? Yeah. yeah. So like we, there's nothing that really, not that we, there's nothing to teach, but it just doesn't like sort of come up for them. I don't think it, I, I, it's not the responsibility of same sex couples or families in, you know, like diverse families to um, teach the, only their children about that. I think it's all of our responsibilities, like all parents across the board to teach their kids about how family dynamics are different. And um, I think the really important thing to note is teaching kids about family dynamics doesn't always need to be an actual teaching moment. Like your library can just be stocked with books 
that have characters that are like in a same sex relationship or there's an adoption happening or there is, you know, a parent who passed away or there's foster children. Like there's, there's such a range of books now and children really learn from the storytelling. It's like, you don't have to sit down and have this like rigid conversation with your kids about like, so this is how the world looks, you know, and have to make it so intense. It could just be like, yeah, I got this book. It's called like Jack, not Jackie. And it's about like a trans kid. And you know what? The kid, it's just a story. It's just a story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, but what, but what, but you know, it's, it doesn't have to become so serious. It just becomes like part of like the narrative of like life and like what, what it is. And they're sort of like growing up with that lens that like, yeah, like remember that book, Jack, not Jackie, that character was like that. And they have like this like understanding about how we're all different. I don't know. There's a lot of books out there and I'm like happy to like, I have like a laundry list of books that I could either recommend to you here or I can send to you and you can put, you know, on your page. Like I really, I really believe that it's like super important for no matter what your family looks like to be teaching kids that all families are different. And again, it's not, it shouldn't like the onus shouldn't just like fall on me because I'm in a same sex relationship. Like yeah. me shouldn't be the only kid hearing that like they're same sex she knows that she's in one, you know, yeah. it's the kid that has a mom and a dad that needs to hear that, you know, yeah. not the kid that has two moms. They get it. They understand it. Yeah. We tend to make it more complicated just because when we were being brought up, we weren't taught about any of this. So we have a very, we're very narrow minded generally the world. Um, so if, <laughs> if all of us, like you're saying, all of us are teaching our kids at a young age, we're responsible for taking the stigma out of all of this. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it and it just like kind of like gives context to children. Like so when they come across whatever, like you said, grief or anything that happens, something to reference so that they can have sort of like, oh, this I've heard about this in my world, that this right. happens in my world. Now I can kind of have a reference point and it doesn't feel so big. Exactly. So, and, like, and like, you know, like you said, like we live, I live in New York City, you know, like and Vita goes to a very progressive school. Yeah. So like she's also like, and we just live in New York where it's a total melting pot of all different backgrounds. Yeah. There are many people, most people live in other parts of the country where they're not necessarily like in those types of environments. So the, the materials that you keep on your shelves and your home and the books that you read your kids are a really good resource for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I definitely, we definitely were going to take you up on like the the book list. I would love to post that. (laughs) Um, In general, I'm looking for a bunch of books, Brittany. I got to talk to you. Um, (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Jenny. This has been an amazing conversation. First of all, how can people like, let's say they're like, oh, I need, I need help with clothes. Where, where, where can they kind of contact you, follow you? Yeah. Get to know you. Totally head to my website, which is yoursoulstyle.com. And my Instagram is a, is a great page to learn about what I do. And I share information on my day to day and I have work with clients that's in my highlighted in my stories. You could kind of see like a day in the life of a client. Um, so that's at your soul style. And I am relaunching your soul style in the end of the end of the summer, early September. So there's a lot of good things that are coming. Um, I did my, I did a core life training. Um, I did my core life training and I'm getting certified starting this fall. So a lot of those um, tools and a lot of the information that I've gathered over that training is going to be integrated into my approach. So um, that will all be launching in September and I'm that's super so psyched cool. about it. So stay tuned. Congratulations. Congratulations. That great. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, well, thank you again so much, Jenny. 
everyone go follow Jenny at your soul style S O U L in case you don't know how to spell. And that is it for this episode of Vetch's mom's podcast. Do not forget to rate review, subscribe, especially if you have a good rating and follow us at Betcha's moms, go subscribe to our podcast on Spotify follow on Apple, I think, or is it the other way around? I think you subscribe on Apple and you follow on Spotify and follow me at Aileen, follow Brittany at Brit Rich. And remember, there are no rules on this podcast. I'm not like a regular mom. A cool mom, right, Regina? Please stop talking. The Betches Moms podcast is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales-Pico with hosts Aileen Drexler and Brittany Levine. Editing by Stacey Wong. Social media by Brittany Levine. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow us at Betches Moms on Instagram and send us your emails to moms at betches.com. Betches.